Hey everybody, Chris Chase here of the House of Commons show with a quick little intro for the segment that you're about to experience. Recently, we recorded a segment around Ravi Zacharias and all the things that have been going on uh, because of his decisions and how it's affected other people. And we titled it The Abuse of Power. And a lot has transpired since we recorded that segment. Significantly, on February 18th, it came out by RZ or RZ, depending on if you're Canadian, I am uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries in Canada. Uh, came out on February 18th, 2021, that they have decided to cl- to begin to cease operations. That all of the things that have happened in light of the decisions that were made by Mr. Ravi Zacharias has impacted them so greatly that they have had they've made the tough decision to close their their doors. Now, when we were recording this, we weren't sure where this was going to land in terms of how this is going to affect the overall ministries, how it was going to affect the witness, how it was going to affect the jobs of men and women who had nothing to do with any of the things that he was doing. And now we see that absolute power corrupts absolutely to the point where it affects everyone. It affects the victims of the, the men and women that were hurt. Uh, it affects the, the victims of people who have now uh, lost their jobs and it affects the witness of, of the gospel as well. And so we want, I want, we want to make sure that we, we put that in there. So when you're watching this or listening to this, that you're understanding where we were at the time. We were just getting this news. A lot of this was, was blowing up on Twitter. Different church leaders were having different viewpoints on whether or not um, it was just a mistake and somebody can be redeemed or that he should be canceled completely. Um, even um, after passing away. So we're, we were having this discussion based on the news at the time, and the news has changed. That doesn't mean any I, – I, I know the guys well enough to know. I don't think any of the feelings would change in light of it, but it's important for you, the listener, you, the viewer, to know what we were thinking at the time based on what we were reading at the time and how that has changed since then. So with that being said, here's our segment. This is – the House of Commons show. Gentlemen, it is the House of Commons show. You can find us on YouTube by searching the words House of Commons show. And when you do that, you might see something that says House of Commons show UK. Bypass that, skip that, bun that, go to our show, House of Commons show, then click on that link, go to every single video, like, subscribe, and share every single video that you see. Beyond that, if maybe you're into video, maybe you're more into audio. If you're into audio, search for us on Apple Podcast or on Spotify. Search the House of Commons show. And when you find every single episode, leave a five-star review. When you, when you do, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, Tim, is that, is that all that we're in for now? Yeah, but uh, Twitter? I said, I said Twitter. You can find, yeah, find us so- on social media. Find us on social media. Make sure to follow us so that you can get up to the minute updates on when we have new segments coming out, new episodes coming out, all that good stuff. This is season two of our show, and we have a doozy of a segment for you, the viewing and listening audience. Gentlemen, let's talk about Ravi Zacharias. If you're not familiar with the story, I will walk it through with you. Walking like um, a docket. Uh, let's 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 just jump in here right away. Um, a few short months ago, four short months ago, um, we lost. 
the world lost Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias, um, a Canadian American author, theologian, graduate of um, uh, world renowned Christian University here in the GTA Toronto, um, known around the world uh, for his work on apologetics, on the study of theology, literally being able to argue one's faith, books written, um, bestsellers. Uh, his clips and his thoughts used in churches across not just in Canada or North America, but around around the world. Um, he passed away, and when he passed away, um, it was a seismic shift that happened in the evangelical church. People from all different walks of life uh, wrote tributes to him. People like Tim Tebow, Vice President at the time, Mike Pence, shouts to Stefan Watson, uh, Franklin Graham, uh, David Crowder, uh, others wrote these beautiful um, um, statements about who he is or who he was rather a as a person. In the midst of all this, prior to his death, um, there began to be grumblings around about his use of phones and texting and sexting women that were not his wife. Now, unfortunately, it it goes without saying that that's not new in churches. Is it safe to say? Horrible. It's a sad. It's a sad thing. Um, but that's not new. And and so what he did is when this came out, he vehemently denied this. Um, people would come out and say that he was sexting them. He the the his company his organization would go on the defense and back him up and say that this was not something that he was part of, that they were liars. Uh, they were suing people that would actually stand up and say that he was doing this to them. Uh, it, it, was, it was a mess. He passes away, and when he passes away, the investigations continue. Uh, this week, or just last week, rather, um, it came out that it was way worse than what people thought. It was way worse than what people thought, uh, to the point that his own organization, um, the ministry that he was a part of, the ministry that he ran or that he was chairman of, that sort of thing, they had to put out statements saying that we have to change everything of what we do because of the fact that everything that we said that he wasn't, he actually was. Everything that we protected his reputation about um, he actually was the opposite of that, which changes everything about how we operate and everything about what we what we do. Gentlemen, this idea of illicitness, of of brokenness, of abuse, I'll use that word, of sexual abuse, of rape, all of those things are attached to his name. And we can spend all of our time spilling tea on Ravi Zacharias we won't do that, though his name may come up here or there within this segment, within this conversation. But I want to have a conversation about power dynamics and, and what this looks like. Um, why? I guess the question is, why did this sort of thing happen? Why was it that an organization was willing to protect an abuser and discredit victims in order to protect this abuser and why does that happen not just with Ravi Zacharias but in various different spaces of Christendom of evangelicalism in North America and I would dare I even say around the world why does this happen why is there this weird 
power shift where men are able to do this sort of bullish and for the most part, many cases get away with it. Does anybody want to jump in? Go on in. I've said my intro. Yeah, I'll 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 jump in, um, and I'm going to put a disclaimer out there. Pardon my forwardness. Uh, I've also been working my way through uh, Jesus and John Wayne's um, by Kristen um, Colby Dunez. Uh, fantastic book <clears throat> excuse me and it also tackles a lot of the patriarchal paradigms and power within evangelical movement and christendom and what does that mean and how do we reckon those things and how do we square those circles or circle those squares however you want to say it but it, it comes down to a it comes down to whether or not we actually want to desire to have uh change within the Christian faith with this regard in terms of moral failures. Um, if I can borrow an <laughs> uh, uh, idiom from our friend Donald Trump, you know, he says, you got to fight like hell or you won't have a country anymore. And I think in this case, um, if Christians and Christian leaders don't fight like hell, I don't think you can continue to have um, the evangelical movement the way that I think people want to have it, um, that charismatic movement, it gets so uh, hurt by when people do things that are um, wrong and abusive. And then the actual uh, harder part of the truth is always the cover-up story. So we see in this scenario, just like many others, it comes out there is denial or a beautiful, a beautifully well-written PR statement. And then as information or investigations persist, you start to see how uh, the cover-up happens. When we are in a, um, a industry like Christian ministry, vocational ministry, <clears throat> excuse me, and people are looking at us and have their own ideas about us. We don't represent ourselves where we hurt ourselves, just like what the Bible says, right? You sin against yourself by presenting the gospel in this, in this way. And I think it does to us a huge disservice. To me, the, the most startling fact about all of this, that one, it was his daughter who was the CEO who had to be put through this whether she knew or did not know, and then had to defend her father, recuse the defense for her father. And two, the only reason they went public with their findings or, under, or, or revelations of the facts was because other staff members urged the leadership, the executives of the company to do so. So they had to lead up in a Christian organization in which its very ideals and foundation is a moral uh, um, hierarchy, where it's we are presenting the faith, we are presenting Christ, we are presenting holiness through atonement, through Jesus, through the cross, all these things. And at the same time, we are actively hiding things and actively hurting people. And then we ask for others to follow us, we ask for others to make them to make us their leaders, and I feel like 
there's a mistrust that happens. We see the same type of story out of a big church in Chicago where the situation comes out and it is hidden and there is all this document and the board uh, of that organization as well hides the information the same way that this one over here does. So we have to really look at ourselves um, as a Christian community and demand better because I don't think it's fair for us to stand on the pulpit and to talk about things that are weighty when we cannot, um, because whether Ravi or anyone else has a, a, a failure in morality, we are humans and those things are gonna happen. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't wish those things to happen. I wish we could all um, elevate ourselves. Um, and, I don't, and again, I'm not in that <clears throat> excuse me, position of power or have that understanding of what it's like to be Ravi Zacharias. But like I said, the thing that is actually more damning to the situation is the cover-up within the organizations, within these church ministries, within these parachurch uh, organizations that then hides the fact and covers it up because we perpetuate the cycle. And this is why people um, who are atheists, who are agnostic, who don't believe, who are post-Christian, who don't believe what we believe, this is why they don't like us. They call they, they use this type of stuff to say that we're hypocrites. Not because somebody cheated on somebody or somebody abused somebody or somebody did something because they understand stuff like that. That's a sickness, stuff, stuff like that. You did something that was wrong. No one's denying it. The idea is that you're hiding it and you're presenting this front that you are righteous, that you are above reproach, that you are presenting this message that is pure and holy and I'm doing my best and you look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And then we ask people to atone for their sins, come and confess your sins and accept Christ. And yet you are hiding your own. And I feel like there's a trust factor we really have to reconcile with so that we can move forward from this. Yeah, and I hear you. I hear you, Bart. Um... And it, it just so happens that I, I know someone who worked in the organization in, in ours that I am. And I just know that, like, I hear you. And I first want to preface this by saying that by no means am I, am I excusing the actions of ours that I am or Ravi Zacharias. And no way am I siding with any kind of cover-up or uh, justifying any kind of uh, sexual misconduct, assault, whatever, whatever harassment or anything like that. I'm not justifying any of that. Um, and I do not side with any of that stuff. We don't play games with that. I do want to say though, that from behind the curtain of ours that I am, you have to understand that, that like Ravi hid this from everyone. You know what I mean? Like this wasn't a me and my top execs know what's going on, but no one else or anything. Ravi hid this lifestyle and it was a lifestyle from everyone. And the thing is this, is that when you have someone who for the majority of their life has put on in such high character and you never, you've, you've never had to question anything like that. So I'll use like the example of, uh, you know, this versus maybe like a Carl Lentz. The, the thing about the Carl Lentz situation, and don't get me wrong, like I'm not hating on Carl Lentz or anything like that, but Carl Lentz flirted with the line of culture very much so in terms of we look at his lifestyle, he's on the bleeding edge of fashion. And it's like, it, you know, as, as believers, when you look at someone like that, you're like, man, 
it would take intense intimacy with the Lord to stay good in, in those situations. You know what I mean? Like it would just, it would, you would, you, you would need to just be so close with the Lord in terms of in the lines and in the places of culture where Carl Lentz goes. And so when something like that comes up, there is a, there like, like you could naturally question that because of the lifestyle that he leads, because of the people that he hangs around with and all those kinds of things, not saying that they're bad or anything like that, but it just in terms of like, when you look at it, you're like, like oh like like something of what Carl Lentz was doing okay that's that's they maybe not that far far fetched, but when you have someone like Ravi Zacharias, who does who who does not put on like a you know he he's not uh, flamboyant in his dress or in his demeanor or in anything and his his ministry is very intellectually based it's not pulling on people's emotions or anything like that. If anything, it sways away from that and tries to appeal to the intellectuals. And it's just the kind of, the kind of person that he is like, like it becomes so much more of a complex situation because you're not looking for the lion around the corner. You're not looking for the thing that he's doing. And I think that the thing about this, that is so incredibly, that's just such a lesson for us. Um, yeah. It's such a lesson is that like gifts do not equal like good gifts do not equal good character. And I think that's something that like the Christian church, sometimes we get so enthralled by a person's gifts. We get so caught up in uh, their charisma or their ability to teach or to understand scriptures or to lead worship or to do whatever the thing is. And we, we fail to understand that those things are irrevocable. Those things they would be able to do if they're living the kind of lifestyle that Ravi Zacharias lived. Like those things, they will never not be able to, to do those things. And, I, and, and, the, and, and I think that sometimes as believers, the thing that that just the, that just like kind of kills us is that we like we I think we all thought that Ravi was above this, you know what I mean? Above this kind of lifestyle. And it's just it's such a sobering reminder that our gifts are not, you know, that the gifts that, that God gives us that we're able that are guaranteed places of encounter, as if I want to quote, you know, Sanctus Church and and uh, John Thompson, a guaranteed places of encounter that it does not matter that you could still have absolute, absolute shitty character. You know what I mean? But still, um, you know, but still be, but, but still be used incredibly by the Lord. And I've got this quote from uh, Dr. Russell Moore uh, that kind of consoles this, but it says, when someone you admire does something disgusting or evil, don't admire what is disgusting or evil. At the same time, don't let your rightful disgust turn you to despair. Many who come in Jesus' name are frauds. Jesus is not. And I think that's something that we need, we have to remember is that like, man, like, like there's, there's, we have these power dynamics and people are going to consistently let us down. This will not be the last Christian leader that I see fall, that we see fall, you know, but we have to remember that like Jesus is not a fraud, you know, that's my two cents on it. Muted. You're muted. I think when we, um, yeah, well, we. I think it comes down to that power dynamic, you know that that that. Yeah, and it, and it's the same thing with uh, church in Chicago. You know, things are centered on one person. This one person has all the power, and this one person is, you know, so important. And God uses one person and all this tough um, that like we put that person on the pedestal, and we forget that. Listen, um, men men fall, women fall. Like we we can't place people so high. Um, to that point at where when they fall like it crashes the whole world 
think crashes our whole faith. Like, I, I think we need to, to not elevate people to that. I mean, the situation is, is, you know, I have no words for it. It's just, and as Adam said, he hid this from everybody, right? Like he, if you met him, you would have never thought any of this, like, uh, you wouldn't have seen it. So it's, it's just really sad how he hid it. I think one of the, the bigger things, uh, that'll come out from this, and maybe we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later, but the use of, uh, NDAs and organizations. And one of the things that, that, um, the reason that, that a lot of this stuff never came out was because a lot of people had NDAs signed and, like, you know, once you sign one of those, you can't really, you can't really break it unless you want to go to jail or unless you want to get sued. And I think that uh, a conversation needs to be had about, you know, not disclosure agreements in church ministries. I think that, you know, if you need an NDA in a church ministry, um, then you have something to hide. And, and I, I think that some of that stuff needs to be called into question. If you're doing everything above board, you're doing everything sort of the right way, then you wouldn't really need an NDA because you you're okay with everything, you know, being out in the streets. But I think that that is a conversation that that we in the church as leaders, as you know, pastors, we need to have a conversation about it. Why are we why are we continually continuously requiring people to sign NDAs if there is no like sort of legal situation happening, or, you know, different things like that? But if you know someone was just leaving a place or whatever what is the need for it and i think that's one of the things that um that handcuffed a lot of people from speaking out are these ndas it, it stopped people from speaking out and so i think that that that's one of the things that i think we we man we need to look at um yeah that's my that's it that's all i got i yield i yield the rest of my time yo bart jump in i can see someone's ruminating yeah there, there's there's a lot so i think I, I don't disagree with with Stefan or with with Adam, but I think you're being too nice because we see it too much. And because he looked nice and he behaved nice, I don't think that excuses anything. Um, we were we were joking about this before. Bill Cosby was a model to the world, a model uh, uh, actor, comedian, uh, person. He people would look to him. People who did not know Bill Cosby would look to him, especially people who were not black, would say, this is a representation of what we want and hope for black people to be in America. Bill Cosby and the writers of The Cosby Show would also look and say, we are trying to present something that is looking and portraying black America in a positive light, wholesome. The exact same thing can be said about other people, notable people like Bill Hybels, okay? Great, even-keeled, great leader, soft-spoken, not too flashy. He's not looking for the spotlight, humble, all those things. I don't think just because you present yourself to be a nice person or a wholesome person negates the fact that you actually were doing some shady stuff. And I think for us to play it down, I think disservices or discredits the victims. It's almost like a reversed Me Too, like the same way that me, the Me Too movement moved into like, oh, believe all women, irregardless of whatever. Well, believe all ministers as long as they look nice. They should but believe I, them. I, I don't think that's don't, what we're, we're yeah, saying. Like, I'm not, no, no, I'm not, no, no, oh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, in, in, in defense of Hosky and, and Steph, I don't think that that's what they were saying though, Bart. I was, I think, specifically Hosky, what he was saying is that to defend the, the organization because from from their standpoint he hid it from them and it wasn't 
there was nothing that he was doing that would have lent itself for them to know two facts two two things that he was doing that i don't know about all facts because i'm not a journalist but from what i've read in the article that chase shared in the the chat one they still chose to sue somebody after they saw the evidence and then they had to recuse that that lawsuit Two, they didn't act fast enough, and the staff were the people who had to then persuade the leadership to act. So again, I know the organization is in a place of, you know, we're in PR crisis mode. What do we do? How do we do? We have to protect what's most valuable to us, our reputation, because this man no longer lives, but we also have this organization and all these benefactors of the organization, as well as we have the the the, the crime, the sin, all the, the the shady stuff that's going on. So how do we how do we find that intersect? And I think you have to present it in a way that's open and honest. The thing that killed the whole situation in Chicago with Willow Creek and what I think is the same thing that's happening now on on all the Christian news outlets is the fact that when you take time and you do not show the openness or the transparency that people are requiring, then people will come after you and they will blame you for it. And there's really no recourse for it. There's nothing that you can say or do if it's reported that your staff members are the reason why that all this stuff came out the people there was so much rumbling in and amongst the organization that that's the only reason why that y'all released all the information and it actually confessed to the fact that you did have prior information and that you still went forward to sue the person i just think that those are the things that make us look bad as a christian uh, yeah. group yeah and i'd agree with that part i'd agree with that you got to do better. We have to call out when we do something wrong. You have to call it out. It's not like it's a yeah. for-profit business. These are non-profit the same way all of your books have got to be open. All the salaries have got to be open. Positions, all that kind of stuff. If there is an error in judgment, we have to make it public immediately because it is a charity. Yeah, and not just that, but it also because it's a Christian organization. Right, yeah, sorry, yes, yes. And, and this whole idea of operating in the darkness is just anti-kingdom thank you calvin i I got that off my chest now (laughs) yeah 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 no it's good adam that last line you just said i think yes we are christian organizations or we represent these organizations we in one shape or another um the idea of hiding things in the darkness not being kingdom i would actually say that that statement's false I think it's a farce. And I think it speaks to the issues of power that are referenced here, but then also we have all bucked up against uh, in our different circles um, that we see in church history, we've cycled around this. And I think it's rooted in a poor theology, a poor understanding of scripture, um, a poor level of health that we live with as leaders just in general you know and and we can understand where the case is made you look at Miriam speaking against Moses she gets leprosy you can see the the big archetype story that we love is David cutting off a piece of Saul's uh, cloak when he's taking a dump in a cave and he had an opportunity to kill him and get vengeance and you know vindicate himself but he didn't do that and wow be like David so even if your leader's crapping all over you right and chasing you down just shut your mouth and you know keep it to yourself the Lord will take vengeance um in Psalms and it says like do not touch the Lord's anointed don't touch my anointed ones don't don't touch my prophets 
right? And the, the, here's this here's this poem this that's talking about the, the Lord saying, like, don't touch my people from people who are in positions of leadership who had the opportunity to write lyrics that you and I can recite today. Um, you look at Paul in the New Testament where he says, um, if you have grievances with one another, don't talk about it publicly. So you can understand scripture on, on standing on scripture, Old and New Testament, how people have come to conclusions to inst institute um, these blockades, to institute these cages and where when people are um, have legitimate grievances, when, when they're wronged, when they're underhanded, when they're shortcutted, um, they don't feel they have the ability to speak up and be honest because it's not just a I'm right and you're wrong. It's you're attacking God if you attack me because I'm the chosen one. I'm the leader of this movement and don't get in my way, right? So I understand where what you're saying, but we celebrate these people who have poor character, who don't have the capacities and faculties to lead organizations well. Um, and when they mess up, they get a don't touch me card because the Bible said so. So you can understand why they put themselves there. And you can understand oh. why people who have been victimized don't have the ability, let alone the confidence, because again, it's presented. You talk about your senior pastor, you talk about your boss, you, you make um, known grievances that are legitimate and le illegal. And, and as Stefan said, you get oh. thrown into a meeting where you're packaged out and there's a non-disclosure. Okay. Oh. Ah, Cal. Adam. Sorry, Cal. Adam, you go. Ah, oh, sorry, Cal. Strongly disagree, man. Yeah. Part, so though? let me let me like get let me get this straight. Let me let me get this straight. Let me yeah. let me yeah. Let me don't understand. misunderstand me. Let, help me so help me hear what you heard. Just pausing yeah, in. Yeah, just yes. pausing in. Just pausing for a second. This is the House of Common show. Find us on YouTube. <laughs> find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Apple. Yeah. Find us. Find us. Find us. Social media. Social media. Great. Just saying that. Keep going. Go ahead. So let me get you straight. What you're saying is this: is that you have a question for me first, right? Yeah. Yeah. So well, I want to I want to make sure that. I'm hearing you correctly. So what you're yeah. saying is that my statement about operating in things in, in the darkness and is that that being anti-kingdom is false because you're saying that essentially you're defending it by scripture and, and verses and stories in, in scripture where God is defending his people. So rather than people bringing things to light, God is defending them and saying, deal with things in private. Am I, am I, Am I no. summing that correctly or yeah, am you, I... you heard it wrong off the top. So okay. what I was saying is I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But people have made a case for the opposite. They've made a case for living in the shadows because of these scriptures, because of these moments in history that have been articulated to us through writing, that they've made a case for doing things in the shadows as yeah. being kingdom. But I'm I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm actually oh. Okay, I'm, I'm with well, you, but I can okay, understand. Okay. Oh, I, like, I, I, I to be understand. honest, I thought you were agreeing. Sorry, I thought you were. I thought you were mad. I honest. No, 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 no. Literally have a list of scriptures for you. Literally have. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm saying I just I highlighted. <laughs> I heard it wrong. The things we're, that people have Adam used. Adam opened up logos against and, and 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 to be to be very honest, I use these things against me. Right. So against yeah. me in, yeah. in multiple so, spaces yeah. where yeah. I, I've had my mouth shut and I've been let Taylor three Kings fam. Yeah. I've, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Yes. 
yes, great so, book, but an abuse when you have to adhere to it because the denomination says you have to do so, right? Like, so yeah, yeah. there, there are just bad systems built around bad people. And so with that paired with bad theology, we got major issues in-house and I, it takes and, a, it takes a collective like us to say, yo, this is inappropriate and this is unhealthy. And, and here, here's why. Yeah. Um, but many of us in the places that we're employed couldn't just stand up on a Sunday morning and speak very openly against the ills of the spaces that we're in.